This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Kansas discussing a sinister compound known as Angel's Landing. Then, we'll talk about an unsolved murder of a pregnant woman who may have been killed by a jealous ex-co-worker. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Sunflower State. Natasha Tormey, who was born into the Children of God, wrote, What I remember most about the cult was feeling lonely all the time. Even though you were surrounded by people, living in communes with hundreds of others, it was impossible to form meaningful relationships. Your first loyalty always had to be to the cult. Even when I was little, I knew something wasn't right, but the cult was all I knew. I had no way of knowing what life could be like. I started thinking about leaving as a teenager, but I was scared. I didn't know anything about the practicalities of life in the real world. It was just after my 18th birthday when I finally escaped. Life on the outside was so incredibly difficult, like many other ex-members, I suffered from severe depression and even considered suicide on a few occasions. It's difficult to explain how isolated you feel when you leave a cult. You feel like you'll never belong in normal society, like no one will ever understand you. I'd say to anyone thinking of leaving a cult that they shouldn't give up. You can find the strength to rebuild a life that you're in control of, even when it seems like there's no hope it will get better. I will warn you, this is a little heavy. It's a cult. Your opening was super sad. Yeah, so it does contain crimes against children, unfortunately. Lazy, no. All cults are the, I mean, not all. Not. I'm not defending any cults, but I'm just saying this is, usually when a cult is involved, sex crimes are involved as well. <sighs> And by the way, Natasha, who I quoted in the intro, is the author of two books about her experience born into the children of God and cults, a bloodstained history. But I'll be talking about a different cult today, and it's about Daniel Perez, who later became known as the leader Lou Castro. Ring a bell? It does ring a bell. It's not one of the more well-known, quote-unquote, because there weren't that many people involved. But Cults. Yeah. So, he changed his identity after he fled from Texas before his 1997 sentencing on child sex charges. So, in the mid-1990s, Daniel was living in Texas and met a woman named Trish Gomez. They dated, but ended up just being friends. In April of 1996, Daniel met another woman named Marilyn. She had a son and a 14-year-old daughter. Marilyn was getting ready to move to Amarillo, and Daniel said that they could stay with him in the weeks leading up to her move. During this time, Daniel forced Marilyn's 14-year-old daughter to engage in sex with him on multiple occasions. Even after they moved, the rapes continued. So he moved with them? No. No, they moved, but they still would meet up. They were friends. So, eventually, the rapes were brought to light and charges were filed against Daniel. 
but the case was dismissed when he was found dead in Mexico. Here's the thing. He was not dead. According to him, on his way to sentencing, he was abducted by four uniformed men who beat him up and left him for dead. He said his friend Trish found him and took him to some people who could help him recover. And then after he was better, he moved to Corpus Christi. So that's his version. But it's more likely he went on the run and one of his friends said he was dead. They found him dead. By the summer of 1996, Daniel was 46 years old and moved to North Dakota. There he met a 15-year-old girl who we will call K.L. She believed that he was much younger than he was and they began a sexual relationship. He knew exactly how old she was, so, I mean, he was raping her. Disgusting. Calling it a relationship does not fit, but during their time together, he convinced her that he had magical powers. Insert eye roll. He told her he could see someone's past and future lives, and he could make it rain, and also communicate with the other side. Three months after meeting, the police went to Kale's home and arrested Daniel. They found him and figured out he wasn't really dead. Right. Then they deported him to Mexico, even though he was a U.S. citizen. How? I looked into this and I could not find a clear answer, but his surname is Perez, but he's listed as being an Alaskan native. So his ties to Mexico are not clear at all. He is a U.S. citizen. Okay. It's unclear. Right. Yeah. So they just sent him to Mexico. Lucky for him, he is a U.S. citizen and unbeknownst to them, he heads back up to the U.S., <laughs> oh, for crying right? out loud. Yeah. How did they know? I don't I, mean, I don't know how that mistake was made. I get maybe they assumed he was. I don't know. So he headed back up to Corpus Christi. And if you don't know, this is the southern part of Texas and it's not too far from Mexico, probably like a three-ish hour drive to the border. But during this entire time, he was still having phone calls with KL. So they never lost touch. Once he made this move, he changed his name to Lou Castro. Because he didn't want anyone to find him because they thought he was deported. So from this point on, I'm just going to call him Lou. It fascinates me how easily it is for these people to just take on a new identity. Oh, for sure. And this is a case that when I talk about it still, I'm like, oh, this is 80s. But it's not. It's 90s and 2000s. But it's like, I mean, when you, uh, clearly I don't know anything about getting a new ID. But I would think that, I mean, you don't have to prove who you are or why you're changing it, you can just go up there and say, I want to change my name to Lacey Olson. And I need a new social security number and blah, blah, blah. So with Lou, he didn't legally go through any of that. He just started calling himself. Calling himself out okay. to other people. So, he so didn't, it was not technical. So he didn't sense. have like a photo ID or anything with this name on it? Okay. Well, he might have had a fake one, but not right. like he never went to the DMV yeah, or No, anything. he didn't okay. do anything legally okay. to obtain this stuff. So after moving back, he met a woman who shared the same apartment building as him named Mona Griffith. I guess you can still get an apartment. I, I mean, it is uh, the mid-90s. Crazy. They hit it off and end up moving in together. Of course. Mona also had a 14-year-old daughter, I know, named Lindsay, and a son named Cody. Then they decided to move to Wichita, Kansas. Cody decided to stay in Texas with his father, but Lou, Mona, Lindsay, and Lou's old friend Trish moved together. 
Trish, who Gomez found out that said he was dead, he yes. was raping her daughter. No, no, no. Okay, it's very confusing. So, Trish was his friend he dated before Marilyn. Okay, okay, thank you. Yes, okay, okay. They were just friends, so they've been friends this whole time. Okay, and they she'll be in the story later as okay. well. So they're all over the place because a few weeks later they moved to South Dakota. While they're there, Trish met a guy named Brian Hughes, and they end up getting married. So it's very confusing because you would think Lou and Mona are a thing, but that's not the case. She met a man named Jim, and they got engaged. And Lou is still, quote-unquote, with KL. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of acting as one bizarre family unit. Yeah. It's very... You know what I mean? It sounds very incestual, even though it's not. Yes. It's just gross. They're sounding. living together, but they're not necessarily dating Which, each other. I mean, you can be friends with the opposite sex. I'm not saying you can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just a very... It's, it's a, a lot. It's complicated. It's very complicated. Well, together, like all of them, they all meet with a life insurance salesman. You know where this is going. Mona decides to take out a $750,000 policy on her life. And then she named Lindsay, her daughter, as the beneficiary. She named Trish, not Trish's father, which I get, you know, it's complicated, as Lindsay's caregiver. So this woman that she barely knew is now her caregiver, if something something happens happens to her. her godmother, basically. Yes, which is fine, but it's fishy. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't long. They didn't really know each other well. They weren't lifelong friends. We don't know what led her to make this decision because ultimately, Mona, Lindsay, and Mona's fiance, Jim, went missing. The child, too? Yep. So, okay, Lindsay is the beneficiary. She's missing, too. Lou and Trish tried to cash in on Mona's life insurance policy, but no dice because at this point, no body, no crime. They no could still body, be alive. No yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, and just because, so she thought that just because she was the caretaker yes. of the, the minor, yes. that she would get the money if the minor also. Which is true. That yeah. is how it was set up. But still, you can't, you have to have a death certificate. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Well, I mean, it's easy enough for these fools, but you know what I mean. You have to have papers. Or a certain amount of time mm-hmm. has to go by before they can be legally declared. Exactly. And when people pop up like, hey, give me the money, it's like, red flag. Well, he okay. should know he was dead. <laughs> he came back. <laughs> <laughs> well, eventually they were found, but it was not good. So Jim had a private pilot license. So they went on a ride one day and something went awry and they wrecked. Fishy, but the remains were found, the wreckage too, Mm -hmm. and this meant Trish got the life insurance policy money. So by the time 2001 rolls around, Trish and Brian have a baby girl named Nicole. They move back to Wichita, Kansas, along with Lou and KL. So they're a hot autumn again. Yeah, she's out of high school at this point. You'd think Trish would avoid life insurance after all this, but no. She took out a $1 million policy on her own life that included an accidental death rider. I had never heard of that before, so I looked it up. And basically, an accidental death rider gives your loved ones access to a larger cash payment 
if you die in a covered accident. She named her husband Brian as the beneficiary and named K.L. as the co-beneficiary. And she has a daughter, so I know it's a baby, but still, right? Doesn't make sense. They ended up adding a woman named Jennifer Hudson to the family, and she was a real estate agent from a few years back when they were living in Missouri. So they ended up becoming friends. She spent a lot of time with Lou and ended up divorcing her husband and moving to Kansas with her two daughters in June of 2001. She had a 10-year-old named Emily and a 17-year-old named Sarah. Sarah did not like Lou at all, but her mom had a special bond with him. At this point, Lou Castro had convinced his makeshift family that he was over 100 years old. He also said his body was often inhabited by one of three angels. Arthur, Daniel, Arthur, and Amber. Amber? (laughs) I'm sorry I'm laughing, but it's like, what? Who was the angel of death? Amber's the angel of death. I didn't know that. I didn't. Do you remember an Amber in the Bible? I do not. I I feel like that was an 80s name. Oh. Trish started telling the children that when Lou was young, he died and then came back to life with powers, which we know, of course, is not true, but these are children, so they believe everything these adults are telling them. Mm -hmm. In 2002, they purchased a 20-acre property with three homes side-by-side in Sedgwick County, Kansas. They referred to this as Angel's Landing. It was basically a compound. And there were structures on the property, mostly places for their vehicles, but it was not like a Warren Jeff situation. It was nice. Mm-hmm. They had a large property, nice things. They were living an extravagant lifestyle somehow. Well, because they had $750,000. Yes. yes. Their cars were fancy. Most of them were worth more than $40,000. They also had a swimming pool. All the things. They just had a little community Amongst like a little neighborhood, but it was, I don't know. I definitely know some of our friends that would join this. <laughs> Just strictly off of aesthetics. Yes, it'd be extravagant. Yes, they yes. would be all about this. So he did not appear to work, Lou, at all. So this is what ended up putting him on the police's radar a couple of years later in 2003. Because it's like, okay, what's mm-hmm. what's going on here? Well, ugh, Lou had 10-year-old Emily move into the master bedroom with him. And my mind cannot fathom how other adults would be okay with this. I know there's a ton of manipulation involved. It's just, I, I can't, my mind can't understand that. But he convinced everyone that he needed someone pure to share his bed with. What? And he needed a young virgin to take care of him or else he would die. And they believed this. I know. It's... I hate your case so much. And I don't want to get... I'm not getting into the graphic details on the sexual assault. The court records do. And it's... I wish I didn't even know. But ultimately, he forced Emily to do... Everything you can imagine with him. And he forced her older sister, Sarah, to have sex with him as well. And eventually he was raping all the female children. If they didn't comply, he would threaten them at gunpoint. This is why I rarely cover cults because it's so much of this. It's just 
I don't understand Ooh. why these cults think sex equals God equals you're the Messiah. You're the... What the fuck? I don't know. It's hard to wrap my head around it. <sighs> there was not another case in Kansas you could have found. <laughs> Probably, yes, but... People ask for cults, and I'm like, uh, okay, but they're, they're always so like this. They are. They are. Is there a cult where kids aren't ever involved? There I probably don't think is, so. but lore. Well, what about the one or sex stuff? What about the one in um that was the comet one where they put the Nikes and the sweatsuits on and what was that? Oh, one? I don't remember what it was called. But you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. There were no kids in that. They were oh. all like, continue. In June of 2003, Sarah was on her way to a car dealership where Lou was supposed to meet her. He met all these people for stuff, but they would make the payments. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So he wasn't trackable. He had no paper records. But her little sister, Emily, called to tell her that Trish, who was 26 years old at this time, had accidentally slipped and fallen into their pool. She died. This was no accident. In fact, Lou told Emily beforehand that it was Trish's time to go. (gasps) He said that Trish would be found dead by the pool after she fell and hit her head, and he asked her if she wanted to be there when it happened. Emily's 11 right at this point. Same age as my niece, Emma. Yeah, and she's like, no. This makes me nauseated. Yeah. So Trish, as odd as it sounds, was like a second mother to Uh Sarah and Emily. Mm Mm-hmm. So she said, no, I don't want to be there. But he told her that she had to go after the death because she needed to put little Nicole, Trisha's daughter, into the pool and then pull her out real quickly and call 911. Like she had Mm -hmm. fallen in and Trish had went in after her. Exactly. So she did that. What a sneaky bastard. (sighs) Yeah. She called 911, said Nicole fell into the pool, and Trish ran, slipped, hit her head while trying to get her, and drowned. Yep. And it's plausible. Mm -hmm. I mean. Emily and Sarah didn't want her to die, but at the same time, he had convinced them that she would come back in a newer, healthier body. I'm like, she's 26. You know, they believed that. The paramedics believed Emily's story. I mean, it's a little 11 year old girl. Exactly. Her Her cause of death was listed as accidental drowning. An autopsy was still conducted. The coroner noted a blunt force injury to Trisha's head, but they chalked this up to a result of slipping before falling into the pool, not of someone banging her over the head. After this, of course, Brian, Trisha's husband, became severely depressed. He started talking more and more to Lou, and Lou would assure him that one day he would get the chance to go to the other side. So he kind of tricks these people into thinking death is a good thing, you know what I mean? Death is a good thing, and they're going to come back anyway, they'll be better, everything's going to be fine. And Brian received Trisha's life insurance money in August of 2003. And wouldn't you know it, some new flashy cars showed up at the compound. And he got custom vanity license plates made that all said Angel 1, Angel 2, Angel 3, so on. I mean, how cheesy can you get? (laughs) Roll my eyes in the back of my head. I feel like that anytime I see anybody's license plate it better be funny says something if they're funny <laughs> i will get a giggle but anyways go i'm gonna get one do not I'll figure it out I'll no. figure one out what are you gonna put on your car 
I don't even know. <laughs> Send help. <laughs> I'm out of gas. <laughs> only fans for tooth. How many letters? Could it- no. <laughs> only fans for tooth. <laughs> Oh. I need one of those two. Mine's going to be OnlyFans for two, number two. <laughs> you can be number one. <laughs> oh, man. Shut up. Talk about I your know, cult. I'm sorry. I know. No, this is not a funny thing. We're it's not, just we need humor in this because this it's is, freaking terrible. It really is. So he was buying flashy stuff for themselves, but Lou was also giving money to the police department. A fucking course. He gave them $19,000. To go to a new police car for them. That's a lot of teeth. I know. They. I'm sure they thought this was suspicious. He would always host elaborate parties at the compound and invite the police. Well, I mean, if you have them in your back pocket. He, he was totally using that keep your yeah. enemies closer tactic. Uh, yeah. Not well, a bad idea. 19,000. I mean, dear Lord. And the whole time, you've got to think that these children... Mm are being raped and molested Awful. right under the police's nose. And mm-hmm. it, that's just reiterating to them that you can't, where, what are you going to do? Who are you going to tell? You know? So Jennifer, the woman who left her husband with the two daughters, mm-hmm. Emily and Sarah, mm-hmm. began dating and eventually married a man named David. And he joined the community in 2003. So, all of these people are allowed to go out and date. They marry, and then these people end up joining this family. So is, it's so bizarre. Is there like a? Are they having like fellowship? Is there like a Bible, or is he? You know, when you when you hear the word cult, you automatically think it's a religious thing. Or was he just telling them a lot of him talking okay, to them? So like he's just conversations. Them, yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. He, he is me. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. A lot of life just insurance, personal and, conversations okay. with them, and that kind of thing. It's so it's not biblical in a sense. Yeah, but it, yeah. it is, but it isn't right. In true Angels Landing style, Brian, Jennifer, K. L. and Megan, another woman Lou was dating at the time, took life insurance policies out on their lives. If you came to me and said, I think we should get life insurance, (laughs) no, ma'am. No, we're not doing that. Interestingly enough, he, Lou, was never named as a beneficiary. Well, Mm -hmm. no. Yeah, because he was, they didn't know he wasn't, quote unquote, a real person. But he was always at all the meetings and he took charge. Mm -hmm. Even though he wasn't on the books, he made the decisions. So, Megan, the woman he began dating, Megan Harbert, had a daughter with Lou, and she was born in December of 2004. Since all this life insurance was taken out, surely another accident was looming. And on March 2nd, 2006, almost three years later, Brian went to work. Once he left, Lou told a friend he didn't think Brian would be back. Not so surprisingly, Brian was in a horrible accident. Brian worked as a diesel mechanic, and when he was working under a vehicle, the jack allegedly slipped, and he was crushed to death. Everyone at work was shocked because he was always extremely careful, Mm -hmm. and by the books, it wasn't like him to not completely follow protocol, and that sounds horrific, being crushed by a semi. Mm -hmm. Oof. So his insurance money went to K.L. Even though he had a daughter, K.L., later that year, 
a woman named Sherry Cox and her eight-year-old daughter, Cece, started visiting Lou. I know, he's a disgusting bastard. It's like he finds people that are vulnerable to certain things. He offers them a very extravagant lifestyle. You can stay here. I'm going to take care of you. And he made the eight-year-old pose provocatively in a swimsuit so he could take photos of her. And he had a camera in the bathroom so that he could see her undress. Well, unbeknownst to Lou, a Wichita narcotics detective named Ron Goodwin had been suspicious of him for the past three years, the year Trish died. Mm-hmm. He started investigating Lou because he was living such a lavish lifestyle. And no job. But didn't have a job. And he had a compound with all these people. At this time, he was involved because he thought drugs were the reason. How else did he have so much money? He wasn't thinking about the life insurance. He didn't know Lou's past. So he was like, they're, they're running drugs. So he started digging and he found obituaries for Mona, Jim, and Lindsay. And he found Lou's name tied to it, not on any of the official paperwork, but just like where they were living and that kind of thing. You know, his name was involved. And he was like, that's weird because Trish died there too. Right. Like, it's kind of odd. So he started looking into Lou Castro and he couldn't find anything on him. No birth certificate, no social security number, driver's license. He didn't exist. Mm Mm-hmm. So he started poking around in the backgrounds of the rest of the people living on the compound. He checked their bank records, and all of them would have a super, super low balance. And then about every two, two and a half years, the balances would be replenished with life insurance payouts. It's like they would lose their money, and then another accident would happen. Right. And they'd be rich again. So at this point, he's like, okay, they're not selling drugs. This is how they're getting their money. Detective Goodwin had a ton of suspicions, but unfortunately, there was no evidence or anything to confirm his suspicions at this point. So a couple more years passed. And meanwhile, Lou was still regularly raping Sarah under the guise of quote-unquote fixing her. She said, quote, there was nothing I could do. I remember saying, am I fixed now? Awful. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't just threaten them. He told her if she told anyone, he he would kill her father too. And she's seen all this. So she believes it. I'm sure I would believe it. He's capable of a lot. So she kept quiet to protect her dad. Almost predictably, two years later in 2008, Sarah and Emily's mom, Jennifer Hudson, died in a freak car accident. According to eyewitness statements, Jennifer ran straight into an oncoming truck. What? The witnesses said there was no way she didn't see it. It was, she did it on purpose. So Detective Goodwin believed that somehow Lou had convinced her to die by suicide. This is the worst story I've ever heard. Even though Jennifer left behind a fiance and two daughters, her life insurance money went to KL. After this... Sarah began dating a man named Daniel McGrath, and later they ended up marrying. Instead of joining this makeshift family like everyone else seemed to, Mm -hmm. when Sarah started talking about what was happening on this compound, he was firstly stunned. Like, what? He's the first person to be like, this is not normal. What is going on here? So she told him everything. So he decided to email the FBI, which was 
a huge help to detectives that are trying to nab Lou Castro because they didn't have anything on him at this point. Lou started to get wind that the police might be onto him, and he even started telling Sarah that they were trying to get him. Well, Sarah ended up working with the detectives, and she told him, Lou's nervous, and he's about to have us all move to Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And they ended up moving in 2009 to Columbia, Tennessee, except for Sarah. She was 24 at this point, and she stayed in Kansas with Daniel. I mean, I feel so bad for everyone else, but at least she got out at this point. So with Sarah and Daniel's help, they found out that Lou, they as in the detectives, found out that Lou had another identity, Joe Venegas. The police were doing everything they could to build a case because it was approaching the two-and-a-half-year mark when someone would likely die in another freak accident with life insurance involved. So he opened up a new bank account, which was good news because since he changed his identity, they could use the bank CCTV and prove he was committing bank fraud. Because this isn't his real identity. Right. He's not a real person. You can't open up a bank account. So he's doing something illegal and they can finally catch him. So on April 21st, 2010, isn't this crazy? This is happening. Not, I mean, it's it 13 years now, but still like, like this 80s. Is the 70s and 80s. Yes. So a search warrant was executed for Lou's home in Tennessee. They found several firearms and two wallets with different identities illegally purchased, and this was enough to take him into custody. After all this, they had never had his fingerprints. So after they got him, they figured out once and for all that he was actually Daniel Perez. So now I'm going to call him Daniel again. It's confusing, but back to Daniel. Through interviews with Sarah, Emily, and other members of the commune, they uncovered Daniel's shocking methods of manipulation and abuse. And he was charged with 28 felonies. All of his sex crimes and rapes were uncovered. And Emily told investigators about Trish's real drowning, which helped the prosecutor's case. Sarah also revealed that Lou had sat her and her sister down, Emily, and told them it was time for their mother to die. Sarah had gone to her mom to tell her what Lou had said. And Jennifer just assured them, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. That's so incredibly sad. It is and because of how he was, you know, an angel of death and that kind of thing, I'm sure he had convinced her that she was going to come back. It's Again, it's so hard to wrap your head around, but by the time of the trial, the charges were amended to one count of first-degree premeditated murder, one count of sexual exploitation of a child, eight counts of rape, seven counts of aggregated criminal sodomy, three counts of aggravated sexual assault, and eight counts of making false information. Of course, Daniel denied everything and said the sex was consensual. With an 11-year-old? Which is disgusting. Like, And no. she was 10 when it... Or 10, Sir, no. you can't have no. consensual sex with children. No, you can't. No. Oh, my God. It's, it makes me want to vomit. He also said he never claimed to have supernatural powers. He had no idea where the money came from, and the women on the compound handled it all, and no one believed him. Obviously. I mean, give me yeah. a freaking break. Emily testified and said, quote, I was 10 when my childhood was over. <sighs> Other 10-year-olds were riding bikes or playing with dolls. I was laying naked in a bed with a pillow over my head, just waiting for it to be over. While other 13-year-olds were getting boyfriends and holding hands, I was holding on to my secret and losing people I loved one by one. 
when other 16-year-olds were experiencing the freedom of learning how to drive and planning parties with friends, I was planning my own death every day when I drove to school. I can't even. Oh, my God. Saddest thing I've ever read. Ugh. In February 2015, he was convicted on all counts and sentenced to 80 years in prison. So he will be eligible for parole in 2095, but he'll be dead. He's currently 64 years old. So, I mean. Yeah. So he's currently behind bars at Lansing Correctional Facility. And in total, the police were investigating him for nine years before they had enough evidence to make an arrest. Because he handled things through all these other people and was careful about everything he was doing. There's an episode about this case on Deadly Cults, which is on Oxygen, which is a show it's hard to watch because they're all freaking like this. Sarah talks about her experience on it and she said, quote, I don't think cults are common. I think my situation was very uncommon. My mom just kind of accepted all these whimsical things that he would tell her. She was just sucked into it. I don't think it's a very common thing, but I also think that there are people in a cult who may not realize they're in a cult until they've been out for a while. I didn't realize I was in a cult until I had been out for a few years. She also said, you can survive a traumatic event, you can move on, and life can be good after a storm. So I got a lot of my information from the court documents, OxygenHeavy.com, NBC, and other sources. I'll link up in the show notes, but this is one of the worst cases I've delved into for a while, and it's a longer one. This was not good. mm, I feel like after that, we we need a break. Yeah. Thank you. Is it, is it my turn it's now? It's your turn. I had no idea how long that was until I stopped recording and woof. By the way, that cult is Heaven's Gate that I was talking about with the yes, 90s. Yes, there's a documentary on Very Netflix weird. or something. Yeah. Okay, here we go. It's my turn. Ready? I'm ready. <laughs> I don't know anything about your case. It doesn't suck as hard as yours in the terms of all the trigger warnings, but it is equally mm-hmm. awful. Jody Lynn Campbell was born in Lincoln, Nebraska in 1969. She graduated high school in 1987. Sean and Jody met in Nebraska while Sean was attending the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, and they were married in October of 95 in South Dakota. So they're just making their way downtown. So after they were married, the family, his family, Sean's family, offered the young couple an opportunity they really couldn't refuse, so they took it and moved to Kansas. The two settled into a small farmhouse in Powhatan, Kansas, which this town was named after Pocahontas' dad. Hmm. Yes. He didn't live there, but... Interesting. Well, it was on the Kickapoo Reservation. Okay. So, you know, six degrees of separation, Mm. I suppose. Hmm. So... Sean and Jody both go to work for the Golden Eagle in Horton, Kansas, which was the first Indian casino on the reservation. So typically to work here, you had to be a part of the Kickapoo tribe or Native American. Sean was part Lakota Indian, and he went to work as their marketing director. 
Jody joined as part of the management team. So she did all the hiring and firing and she worked her way up the corporate ladder, even though she was not Native American or part of any tribe. Hmm. So this definitely caused some tension with other employees, like why is she even here? You know, it's just, it it's not normal for, quote unquote, a white person to be a part of this and especially be one of authority. Yeah. yeah. I could see where that would oh, yeah, for rub sure. people the wrong way. She that was is all, unusual. Yeah. So she was also only 28 and she was in charge of a mm-hmm. lot of people. So if someone was late or absent or not doing their job, she had to report um, to the council or the board of the tribe. Mm-hmm. So she would basically tell on them, Yikes. give them a date to report to the tribal council, and they would decide what happened if they were fired or if they were suspended. So that's a lot of responsibility for a 28-year-old. Yeah. So she had one particular employee who had a bad attitude who had been late multiple times, and she reported him the first time he was put on probation. But the problems escalated, and he was eventually fired. He then, in turn, filed a grievance against Jody, saying that she had been late for work for an entire week. She and her husband both claimed it was because she was seeing a fertility doctor and that she was staying late in the evenings to make up the time that she was Late. So if she missed an hour in the morning, she'd stay over an hour mm-hmm. in the evening. Jody had self suffered multiple miscarriages and they were struggling to get pregnant. They wanted a family more than anything, thus the fertility doctor. But Jody was fired. She fought over the next few months to get her job back and they agreed to consider it, considering this was, you know, she had doctor's notes. It wasn't because she'd slept late or was hungover. She, was at a doctor's appointment. Yeah. So it wasn't long before that word got out. She may be getting her job back. The woman who wasn't even a member of the tribe or Native American was possibly going back to work at a place where she had got someone who was a part of the tribe fired. Yeah. So it was I just, hate, it's just bad. That's a bad sticky, blood. Yeah. Yeah. So Jody started getting odd and disturbing phone calls not long after this word had got out. They were all anonymous, no caller ID, no star 69. Mm. So Jody finds out she is pregnant. Wow. And they are past the point where she would typically miscarry and they find out that the baby is a girl. So this is a very exciting time mm-hmm. for the family. So one day in November, they had spent the entire day baby shopping and had settled in on the couch for the night. They heard something outside, like a pop sound, and their dog was going nuts. So Sean heads, you know, like towards the back to see what was going on. And Jody runs back into the bedroom. Suddenly, someone jumps up with a high-powered rifle and starts shooting at their house. Sean said at first it sounded like a popping noise, then escalated to sounding like someone had lit a pack of firecrackers. There, They were definitely a target. Like I said, they lived in the middle of nowhere. There were no neighbors, so it couldn't have been someone out in the woods hunting and just, whoops, you know, we didn't see your house. Uh, or, no. no. No, no, no. One of these bullets, tragically, hits Jody, who was seven months pregnant. Oh. <sighs> 
in the head. Oh my god. Right above the left eyebrow and kills her instantly. Sean grabs a sock from the floor in the bedroom where Jody had ran into and holds it over his wife's wound and calls 911, hoping that they would arrive in time to save their unborn daughter who they had already named Jordan Shea. It took the ambulance about 15 minutes to arrive. Mm. And unfortunately, the baby wouldn't make it either. (sighs) The whole house is riddled with gunshots. Jody and baby Jordan were buried together in Lincoln, Nebraska, where she had, you know, originally been from. The police found numerous shell casings at the scene. Brown County police handled the case with the help of the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. Sean tried to get the FBI involved since reservation is federal land. But even though the tribe considered his house to be part of the reservation, New boundaries at the time meant that it was technically right outside of it. So the FBI couldn't get involved. So it wasn't technically federal land. Oh. It's believed that the murderer was possibly seeking revenge upon Jody for firing either them or someone from the casino. It's believed that there may have been more than one person involved. An inquest did take place and people who were believed to be involved were interviewed So the police narrow the suspects down to three, but have had no luck at getting anyone who knew anything to talk. Law enforcement believe this is due to the mistrust that many Native Americans hold for law enforcement. This case was featured on Unsolved Mysteries in 2001, and the Kickapoo tribal chairperson who was serving at the time appeared on the show and asked people who knew anything to come forward. She was fully cooperative. Several people that belong to the tribe have been reported saying that they know who did it, but they are all too scared to come forward for retaliation. The gun used in the murders has never been found. And police do think that they have, obviously, the motive and who the person is. It's never been proven. Seriously? Sean was never a suspect and eventually left Kansas and moved back to South Dakota. He did marry and go on to have children. He lives on the Rosebud Reservation and serves as a Democratic state representative for the state of South Dakota. And he also works at the Sinti Gleska University. So this case has never been solved. Oh, my gosh. I know. Mm -hmm. So I got all my information from an All That's Interesting article, Medium article, and the Unsolved Mysteries episode It's season 14, episode four, if you want to watch it. So, yeah, it's never been solved. I wonder I mean, snitches get stitches. They're like, we're not. Yeah, I. We're not talking. We don't want. It's. It's sad, but it happens a lot. It's complicated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do they think the killer did did it on purpose? Like, was it a threat or was it meant to, was the bullet meant to hit her? I mean, is it just no one really knows for sure? No one really knows, but it could have, I mean, it could have been either. But he headed towards to see what was going on. She went to, like, go to the bedroom to, Mm -hmm. like, hide. And they think maybe she stopped and turned around to see where Sean was, if he was behind her. 
and that's when she was shot. Because when Sean came back into where she ran towards, her feet were outside the bedroom and her head and body were in the inside of the bedroom. So it's like she was right outside and fell into the bedroom. Does that make sense? <sighs> yeah. So they must have seen her running through the house. Well, the whole house was, it's like they were, whoever it was, or however many people were standing outside the house, just like spraying it with Just all over. And Sean just so happened to not be in the crosshairs. They had to have known she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. And her baby would be a member of this tribe. No. No? Well, the husband was... It's part a, of a different tribe, not oh, the Kickapoo. Oh, you're right. Lakota, different tribe. Lakota, 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 right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Never solved. I'm sure I've made a lot of enemies at work. And I have worked with a lot of people over the years in my 42 years of life that I do not like and could not stand to work with, but not not to this level. No. It's scary. Yeah, it honestly is because it's one of those things you never know who you're pissing off and how everyone's level is so different. That's why sometimes like one of our friends, if he starts yelling at cars or whatever, Uh I'm like, they might just turn around and shoot you. They may be having a bad day and you can't can't just, yeah, I'm, I, they're not the one. There are plenty of people I want to flip off to that pass me or whatever, Yeah, but they might also follow you to your house and beat you to right. death. It's scary. You yeah. just. Well, and. And like, you have to, as a job, like in her job, her she job. had to fire it people. It wasn't personal. Oh my well, God. and it's like, she wasn't even the one that would fire That's people. Ter- she would report to. That's terrifying. The council and they decided what happened. Oh man. So yeah. Sucks. That down. is terrifying to know that just over something like that, you can freaking. He mm. lost his wife and his child because somebody was late for work and they got fired. It's nuts. So anyways, next week we're in Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Got any news for me? Yes, I do. Yeah. I'm just like trying to figure out. It's like we're never going to know who did this. No. Because we're not in the inner, you know, we're not in the tribe. We're not in the inner circle. And they don't want to get, you know, outsiders involved. I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. Anyway... Ooh, we have a new patron. Yay! Yes, Sarah J. from Washington State. Awesome! Yes! Thanks, Sarah. Yes, thank you so much. Exciting. I'm on top of it. I sent her goodies out in the mail today. So, phew. And we are recording the Patreon tomorrow. Yes. Sorry, we are late. We need to get it together. We were on a hiatus. We backed it up. But, yeah, we are going to have a new Patreon episode for January. And we're going to be talking about um, true crimes that are in the news now. 2023 is busy. It is. With tons of bad shit (laughs) happening. It happens fast. It's a lot. So we're going to talk about it, give you our two cents on a couple of cases, and... um, Possibly an announcement of something that we're going to be doing coming maybe, up. Maybe. Maybe we will. We'll see. We're still waiting on some details, but it'll be exciting. And if you're not a member of Patreon, you can join at where, Lacey? This is your cue. Yes. <laughs> uh, I haven't given this spiel in a while, so may as well. You can go to patreon.com slash United States of Murder to see the details and decide if you'd like to join or not. In a nutshell, if you choose to donate, you're helping offset our costs. 
We're an indie podcast, which means we do all the work. We do it all. If you're a patron, we give you a shout out, send you some stickers, maybe a shirt, depending on your level. We release our weekly episodes early and they're always ad free. And we have monthly bonus episodes. Yay! If I sold you yet. And if you're on social media, follow us on Instagram at United States of Murder or on Facebook at US of M Podcast. Have all these links up in the show notes. And if you like us, leave us a review. It's free. It helps us. And we appreciate it. <laughs> very much. Very much. Did I miss anything? That's just spiel. Lace, this is Lacey's podcast today. <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean to um, hog it all. Take it over. I'm so sorry. No, I love it. Anything else going on with you? Besides um, your chip tooth? <laughs> well, I'll discuss more in my wacky, but... Uh, oh, there's something? Oh. No, my tooth. Oh, your my tooth. My tooth is the wacky. <laughs> Lacey and I are not having good oral health in 2023. Foot and teeth for me are a no-go. And so if you don't follow us on Instagram, I do little live videos of me making the cocktails we drink that- Are you not going to do this? I have a chipped front tooth. It's not. You can't even tell. Oh my gosh. I can't even see it. Mm. But you know it's there. It's a front tooth. I get it. I get it. My dentist- mm. It's weeks. He's on vacation. He doesn't have another dude. I'm just, this is me for now. I'm not leaving this house. Oh, man. (laughs) We are from Arkansas, aren't we? I mean, damn. Yep. Are they not putting fluoride in our water? What's going on? Oh, How are your uh, New Year's resolutions? Are you still going to your workout classes? Yeah, and she's trying to murder me. No, it's good. That's just weakness crying. I... I don't know. Okay, y'all. I joined a gym (laughs) thinking it was kind of like fitness classes. I think I unknowingly joined in some kind of CrossFit situation. Oh, no. It's not called CrossFit, but they make you do all these weird things. By weird, I mean like you're like pulling ropes and then you're bear crawling Mm -hmm. back and then I can't bear crawl. And all these people have been there for years and like they'll be like, okay, do – I don't even know. She'll and just now, say abbreviations. Now you can't. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And you have a snaggle tooth. Well, I have <laughs> plantar fasciitis. Oh, no. Ugh, as well, I'm apart. a mess. So she's I can't go for a few days. She sounds like an old lady over here. I am. And my dog <laughs> has kennel cough. I think he gave it to me. No. I but. think my dog sees ghosts. <laughs> the last couple of nights. It does. Maybe sure. my house is haunted. I don't know. Is it a bug? She sleeps at the foot of my bed, and the last couple of nights, she's jumped up and barked at the ceiling, like in the corner of the ceiling. Mm. So I don't know if I got a dog that has a demon attached to it. I don't know if she sees my sleep paralysis demon. I don't know. But is there any light that flashes in no. that corner? Maybe she has what Rody has where he just like oh panic jumps and OCD. I don't know. Have fun with that if that's Maybe, the case. I hope that's not it. I hope that's not it. But Ugh, well, I got a dog trainer now. It's it's a whole thing. I'm like our lives are falling apart. Like, Please are help falling out. me. Please help me. <laughs> Is your plantar fasciitis foot the same one that the, the witch th- doctor? Yes, it <gasps> is. It's the same freaking it's a foot. Side effect from that voodoo i'm gonna cut the whole freaking thing off at this point i mean i can barely walk on it you can't have a snaggle i need a boot and only one foot (laughs) oh man 
I guess at least. Oh, boy. I don't know. Oh, so next week we're in Hawaii and we're, we're not going to talk about our bodies falling apart or our dogs. Just kidding. Just don't make me we'll promise that. talk about that. our dogs. I might have a new ailment by then. Oh, Who knows? Lord. Who knows? All right. Bye. Bye.